Um, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, if you're a regular attender here, remember, um, if you don't, bring it next week. We'd love for you to do that. If you will turn with me to the book of Romans and uh, chapter 6, uh, Brad read from that passage uh, just a little earlier, uh, that is going to be a, a kind of a main anchor today. We'll be in all over the place in se- several different areas, but I wanted to open up by, by reading from uh, Paul's words to the church in Rome to kind of set the tone for where we're going to be going today. Paul, in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Father, every single person that has walked into this room today is known by you in such a way that you know exactly where we are in our lives. You know the things that are stirring in our hearts and in our minds at this very, very moment. There is no escaping your gaze. Some are wounded. Some are hurting. Some are full of guilt and some are full of shame. Some are full of self-confidence and comfortability. Some have been numbed by the pleasures of the world and often distracted and don't see you. God, I pray today that you meet us where we are, that your word accomplishes what it is meant to accomplish today in us, that you would breathe your breath on us as we sit here, that we would feel the weight, the wonder, the awe of who you are. And God, as I preach to your people, apart from Christ, I'm unworthy to do it. There's no power in my words. I pray that they leave today with your word marking them. We pray all of these things today in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, we are in a series here at LifePoint Stewart's Creek called We Are, uh, where we're walking through the importance of the church, kind of defining church, a definition of the church, and really what the church actually is. We've been roaring the importance of that. Uh, one of the reasons why we're doing that is because of cute observers who've been watching the trend uh, of church in America. Uh, they're seeing the doctrine of the church being weakened um, or even abandoned by many evangelical Christians today. Uh, there's a lot of questions floating around regarding the importance and the necessity uh, and the beauty of church. Questions like, do I have to be a, uh, do I, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Or do I have to go to church in order to be a Christian? Uh, the idea of, man, will God love me more if I just attend more? Uh, how frequently do I really have to go? Like, can I just come every once in a while and God be cool with me? Uh, what is church? Uh, does it save me? Uh, uh, what, what constitutes a church? What about if I meet with two or three of my friends at home uh, or, or at Starbucks? Is that church? What about if I go to a Bible study on Monday nights or I go to student ministry on Wednesday nights? Is that church? 
What about parachurch organizations? What about on-campus ministries? Are those church? Can I just be a member of the invisible church? Do I really have to join a church? You see, all of that confusion that is out there is why we are stepping into teaching about the importance of the church. Because what happens is, all of those confusions out there, what they do will produce a generation of Christians who are or kind of like drifters, church drifters or uh, hitchhikers. They just kind of wander in and out of churches, loosely connected, uncommitted, uh, not loyal. Uh, they'll come into this mentality of, of consumerism with the church. Uh, Kent Hughes calls these uh, type of people Mick Christians. Well, it's the idea. They'll come to church, look at the menu. They just want to get in, get out. Right? There's a lot of uh, uh, confusion out there, and a lot of people have that mindset, and they, they have a true-telling vocabulary, and it, it goes like this. Uh, it sounds like, I go to or I attend instead of, I am a member of and I belong to. This is why we as a church are committed to teaching through the importance of the church and letting the scriptures clarify some of these confusions out there. Uh, one of the things that I did last week, if you weren't here, here you get to catch up on this, but a, a definition for the church, um, I stole it from a man named Charles Spurgeon because he's super smart. He is dead, but he's still teaching us. Uh, this is a definition that Charles Spurgeon tells us about the church. The church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It is the fold and flock for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth. Some of you hear that, you love it. Some of you roll your eyes at it. But the what, 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 what Spurgeon is trying to communicate here is despite her flaws, despite her tendency towards hypocrisy, and despite her ability to wound, the church for the believer is still the dearest place on earth. To love Christ is to love the church. And how can we people say that we love Christ and either absent ourselves from or flee from what God has told us to join together in. It's an impossibility. The idea of a churchless Christian is not present in the Scriptures. It is impossible uh, for us to grow as Christians, to be cared for and nurtured. You see, it's God's plan A for people like you and me who are today unfit for heavenly places. We're not fit to go there. We're full of sin and hypocrisy and all these things. We're unfit. So how does God shape and mold us into the image of Jesus to get us ready for the heavenly places? He has one plan, plan A, and it is in the church. There is no plan B. So last week as we talked about that, what I encouraged us to do as we took our first step was to push back the non-committal nature and culture in us towards the beauty of church membership, to join a local congregation. We walk through Hebrews 13, 17. Is bapt- I mean, is church membership, uh, is it necessary for salvation? No, not at all. But is it crucial for sanctification? Yes, it is. It is impossible for you to be cared for, encouraged, fed, um, 
shaped, molded, provided for. It's impossible for you to be obedient to Hebrews 13, 17 if you are not in a local church under the care of people and a local pastor. Now, it doesn't have to be this one, right? My desire for you to be a member of a local church if you're a believer is greater than the desire to be just one here. But if you are looking for a church home, what a great opportunity. We would love to have you. We'd love for you to come and see how we do that here and invite you into this covenantal vow kind of language of how we're going to love you and care for you and what it means to be a member of the body. So if you've not done that and you might be interested in at least going down that that road to figure out who we are, would you uh, go online? Look at the app. There's a membership option there. There's a box you can even check on your Connect card that you have today. Uh, We would love to invite you to be a part of our family and just kind of see how that process works, okay? Uh, So what we're going to do today is we're going to show you what members of the church do, what Christ told members of his church to do by practicing two specific things called sacraments or ordinances of the church as we gather together. Uh, These ordinances are often called uh, sacraments or ordinances. I like ordinance here uh, because these are things that Jesus ordained us to do to the end of the age. These two things are the Lord's Supper, also called communion, um, and baptism. Those two things that we're going to talk about uh, today, I'm going to talk about baptism, and we'll talk about Lord's Supper next week. But the idea here, uh, that these two things that we practice as members of Uh, of the bride of Christ, these two things are the epicenter of our entire faith. They are ground zero for the Christian. Uh, Look what Augustine said about these sacraments. He said it's a visible sign of a sacred, invisible thing, a visible dramatization pointing to God's invisible grace. Now, here's what Augustine meant. He said, hey, don't get caught up and be mesmerized by the sign. The sign of taking the Lord's Supper, the sign of being baptized. Don't get mesmerized by that because that's just the sign. It's not the thing. It's the sign that points to the greater thing. And what is the greater thing that the Lord's Supper and baptism point to? They point to the gospel, the good news of a good, great, mighty, powerful God who became a God-man in Jesus Christ who lived 33 years of a perfect, flawless life every second perfect before the eyes of God. Then he died on a bloody cross at Calvary. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And that by those very means right there, Paying the penalty of our sin debt, erasing it forever, imputing his innocence on us, and we get to take his innocence by those means right there that we are made right with God. We are saved people and we avoid the wrath of God. We get to experience new life for those that trust in the gospel. That's what we do when we practice the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are gospel reflectors. They are caused to us to look upon these things that we do, and we'll do these later today, but to look upon that, to meditate on the gospel, to appreciate the gospel, 
and to become more dedicated to the gospel. So think big thoughts when we think about baptism today. Don't think small thoughts. Don't think church tradition, routine, practice, ceremony. And don't even think small thoughts about the people that we're going to baptize today and your thoughts just terminating right then and how awesome they are. Let's think big thoughts. Let's think about the gospel when we practice the sacraments because that's what they're called to do in us. So today... Uh, these things, you know, these sacraments have been practiced throughout church history. Um, there's some major differences on how we do them, okay? People all over the map here today. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to preach about baptism. Uh, I got two sermons for you. I'm going to preach a sermon today, and then we're going to watch some people get over here and preach a sermon by acting out the live dramatization of a relationship with Christ in a tub. And I promise you, their sermon will be better than mine, all right? I'll be right with you, weeping and screaming and yelling and all those kind of things. But today, let's talk about baptism. Let me give you a good illustration of why we would need to do that and the confusion behind that. There's an old drunk man walking around a river, um, and he's just kind of wandering, drifting, and he sees some baptisms happening down in the river, and he just kind of drifts and wanders down in there. He sees a pastor who's baptizing people. He walks up, stumbles across, and the pastor sees him. And says, hey, hey, brother, would you like to find Jesus? Yeah, I'll find Jesus. Walks over, the pastor takes him and, and, and puts him under the water and baptizes him and brings him up. He says, hey, brother, you find Jesus? He said, no, sir, no, sir, pastor, I, I didn't find Jesus yet. All right, well, well, let me do this again. Maybe you'll find him again. He takes him, he puts him down, holds him just a little bit longer this time, and pulls him down, and he pulls him back up. He's wiping his face. Uh, Brother, did you find Jesus? He says, no, pastor, I didn't find Jesus. The pastor's getting a little bit more tense. He's a little more harsh this time. He takes him a little firmer grip, puts him under the water for about 30 seconds this time. All right, he's down there. Finally pulls him up. The man's gasping for air, wiping his face. He says, brother, did you find Jesus? He said, no, sir, pastor, are you sure this is where he fell in? Right? (laughs) Funny story. Uh, But it does lend itself and communicate that there is much confusion about the idea of baptism. We have people here today um, all over the map, different church backgrounds. We have people from uh, the Catholic church upbringings. We have Church of Christ. We have Methodist, Anglican, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, maybe in some of those. Listen, we have people all over the map here. Uh, So what I want to do here is I want to lay out this case for baptism to clarify some of the confusions behind there um, because I think one of the things that, uh, that, that, that's often out there is not necessarily um, what we believe about baptism, but what we don't believe about baptism. Meaning that, that I just don't think people understand the importance, the necessity, the beauty of baptism. And the church is actually guilty of this as well. The church has not really elevated the doctrine of baptism in a very good way that honors the Lord. I'll tell you how, how I know this. This past week, I was looking up some of those marquee signs. You know those church marquee signs? They're awesome. They're funny. Uh, I saw a couple of them, and they said this. Uh, they said, hey, if you've never had a meaningful baptism, would you come out this Sunday and be baptized? Another church marquee said this. Although there is really only one believer's baptism in the Scripture, and really it's not necessary that you do it again. However, if you'd like to, come back again this weekend and we'll baptize you again. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. 
You don't have to, but if you want to. I mean, that's, you talk about the confusion behind that. There is also a, uh, a culture of churches practicing spontaneous baptisms, which I'm not going to get into the is it right or is it wrong idea, but I would tell you that many churches are practicing spontaneous baptisms uh, without no opportunity or no sitting down and communicating the gospel with an individual of what they're actually being baptized into for the sake of big numbers. Hey, we baptized this many people this weekend, right? Looks pretty awesome on social media, right? That's not real. That's highlight real stuff. But there's this idea, spontaneous. It's been, pardon the pun, watered down, uh, so to speak. Baptism, the idea. So I think we need to clarify this. I think we need to go to the Word um, and and see what the Word says regarding baptism. Uh, This will be topical today. It's typically not what we do. I love to take a passage and break it down. But I'm going to walk through five things about what baptism is. Um, And then I'm going to give you a biblical basis for each one. So you just know I'm not ranting, raving, babbling what I believe about it. My opinion doesn't matter at all. It's what the Word says. The first thing I want you to hear today is this. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism does not save you. How do we know this? Listen to Paul's words to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Bible is clear that the instrumental cause of salvation is grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not a result of of works. This is what Luther fought so hard for in the Reformation. Justification by faith alone in Christ alone, not a result in works. So if I add something like baptism as a condition to my salvation, listen, baptism is a work. It's a work because it requires you to get up. It requires you to maybe talk with someone. It requires you to maybe schedule it. It requires you to, uh, to get up, to dress appropriately on a Sunday. It requires you to get into the, the stairs that get into the water and get down in the water and submit yourself to everyone in here. It requires you getting up on Sunday morning. It requires, in fact, a ton of works in order for you to be saved. But it doesn't save you because salvation is by grace alone faith alone and Christ alone. You might have heard it say like this, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You do not add to the gospel. Paul, with a harsh rebuke to the church in Galatia, because they were talking about preaching a gospel that says you must be circumcised in order to be saved. They were adding a sign to Jesus. And he tells them, Let them be accursed, is what he says. He didn't say, well, you got it wrong. You're just confused. It's a preference. I mean, you might think this, tomato, tomato. No, that's not what he says. He says, let them be accursed. Why? Because they were assaulting the gospel. They were saying the cross is not enough. It didn't do all of it. It did part of it. But you got to get into the water to make it happen. The entire scriptures all the way through, in its totality, scream, grace alone, faith alone, in 
Christ alone. But there's one specific instance in the New Testament, in the Gospels, that show that give an example to why baptism is not salvific. Let's read this. You might know the story. Uh, this is in um, Gospel of Luke here. The context is here. Jesus is having a conversation with a guilty sinner who's going to hell. He's hanging on a cross. He's going, right? But he has this dialogue with Jesus right next to him. Keep in mind that John the Baptist had already been baptizing those into the new covenant. And Jesus himself had already been baptized. So the practice of baptism as a sign of the new covenant had already been taking place. And let's look at this conversation, hearing from the thief first, Luke 23. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So the guilty thief, under condemnation, looks over at Jesus and says, remember me in your kingdom. In that moment, here's what he's saying to Jesus. You are the Messiah. It is your kingdom. You're going there. You are God. You are who you say you are. Would you remember me in your kingdom. He is expressing faith alone in Jesus Christ. So he's got the faith part right, right? Now, notice the response of Jesus here. Here's what he doesn't say. Oh, man, that's awful moving. I appreciate what you're saying. But here's the deal. I'm, I'm kind of nailed down at the moment, and I cannot get off this cross to go baptize you. I can't really get a sponge up here to sprinkle you. can't wash away your sins, thief. I, 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 it's a good, valiant effort on your part. But I did my part, and you didn't do your part. Why didn't you do it way back in the day when John the Baptist was baptizing people? Why didn't you listen to me then? That's not what Jesus says. He says, you will be with me in paradise. Why did he say that? Because salvation was not a work of man. It was by one work of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. We don't add to the gospel. Adding to the gospel is an assault on the gospel. And it is not dependent upon us. Listen to what Calvin said about this idea. The gospel, not baptism, is the power of God unto salvation. Not baptism. We are not to be taken up with the earthly sign so as to seek our salvation in it. Nor are we to imagine that it is a peculiar power enclosed within it. On the contrary, we are to employ the sign as a marker to lead us directly to the Lord Jesus Christ that we may find in him our salvation. Now this is also why we don't get, or actually, actually, this is why we get our doctrine from Paul about baptism and we don't get it from Carrie Underwood. Because there is nothing in the water, okay? Uh, trade secret, you get to come in. Let me tell you about what happens over here today. Uh, behind this puppet show-like curtain thing we got going over here, uh, behind that, there is, a, uh, there is a faucet hooked up to the back of the wall and there's a garden hose attached to it. Now that hose... It's pumping in city water. I'm talking the same stuff that you turn on in your bathroom faucet. 
that stuff, not the stuff that goes through your filter on your fridge, the dirty water out of your faucet, right? And those pipes that are coming through, they don't go to Jerusalem and they don't go right up to heaven. Just water over here. Plain, natural, contaminated water. If you took the water out and threw it on a vampire, he would just be wet. That's all that's happening in there, all right? So it doesn't save. And the fact that we baptize is also important to say that this, in the scriptures, there is really only one baptism. There is nowhere in the scriptures that speak to a rededication or a rebaptizing over and over and over and over again. That's something we've done. Some of you come from denominations where uh, they have rededication weekends. And you do it 14 times because you're just hoping one of them sticks, right? <laughs> Listen, that, there's only one believer's baptism in the scripture. And when we water it down to all these just emotional experiences whenever I need it, man, we cheapen, we cheapen what the fact is a believer's baptism and the significance behind it. So it is not to be practiced over and over and over again. All right, so let's go to the second point. Baptism is ordained by Jesus and to be obeyed by us. Yes, we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone, but our faith is not just a faith that's alone. It is accompanied with obedience. It is accompanied with a desire to obey Jesus. All right? And we know this. Look at 1 John 2, 3 with me. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So what is the evidence that we do know him? What is the evidence of our salvation by faith alone through Christ alone? What is the evidence? Obedience. A desire in our new birth to want to obey God. We never did before. We never really wanted to surrender, but now he gives us a new heart that says, I want to obey his commands. And what is the very first commandment that Jesus gives to us as believers to show, do you really have a regenerated heart? The very first one, of course, is baptism. Acts 2, 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.41, So those who had received his word, they had received the gospel, they agreed upon it, and they trusted it. They were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now notice what the disciples didn't do right there. They didn't sit around and start squabbling over a theological debate on what baptism was. They didn't say, well, am I supposed to do it as a baby? If I do it, when does the regeneration happen? Has it already happened before the foundations of the earth? When do I get the Holy Spirit? Is it after I get out of the water or is it before I go into the water? When I get out of the water and I get the Holy Spirit, do I get to speak in tongues? Do I get to heal people? Like, Did they sit around and squabble about that? No, that's not what they did. You know what else they didn't do? They didn't say, yeah, I get it, but you know what? My legs are really white. 
And if I get in front of these people and the lights pop on my white legs, I could blind the congregation. I don't like to get in front of crowds. I don't do crowds. I think I I gotta get my life in order. Like I gotta clean myself up before I get into that water. Like I could really contaminate that water if I got in there today. That's not what they did. What did they do? They got baptized. They just did it. Why? Because the idea of a New Testament believer who was not baptized is foreign. There's never a mention of a believer in the New Testament who was not baptized. We know that it's also essential. Baptism is to the Great Commission. We see in Matthew 28. And Jesus came, to, came and said to them, All authority in heaven is, on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus is saying... His great commission to make disciples is not divorced from baptizing. You cannot make disciples and execute the great commission if you are not baptizing other people and if you've not been baptized yourself. If you're a believer and a disciple of Jesus, you are baptized. There is no separation of the two. So if you have faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, the very first thing he's told you to do is to be baptized. Have you done that? Not as a baby. Not as a child who didn't have a clue what you were doing. You just didn't want to go to hell. Grandma said, do this. You better do this now. Not that, but a trusting in for salvation, for life. Have you been baptized? And I, I hope that you do. Spoiler alert, that's where I'm kind of encouraging you to go as we move forward. Uh, we want to tell you where we're headed. Let me go to the third one here. Baptism matters to us as individuals. We'll get to the corporate thing in, a, in just a moment. But baptism matters to us. Let's read again Romans 6. Three through four again. Actually, four. Let's just read four here. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is showing us this word picture of what happens when we put someone into the tub, as we take them. And we lower them down into the water. This is significant, symbolizing the death of Jesus. As Jesus died on the cross, you are dying as we put you down into the water. The old, dead you is being put to death. And the old, dead you needs to be put to death. In order for you to experience what happens afterwards... You have to die first. And what do we do? We don't leave you under the water until the bubbles stop, right? We take you, pull you out of the water, 
symbolizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. You get to raise up out of the water the newness of life, the celebration that comes with it. And in this act of baptism, what you see here also is this public declaration of identity in Christ. The signifying identification, I belong to Jesus forever. He is mine. Why is that important to be identified with Jesus or to find your identity in Jesus and the act of baptism? Because you and I are hardwired in us, in our DNA, everyone in here, to find our identity in something or someone we have these veneer identities that we often find it, right? I'll find my identity being a mom. I'm a mom to whoever. I'm a dad. I'm a soccer mom. I'm a baseball dad. Uh, I'm a good salesperson. I'm great at my job. My profession is my identity. I'm a husband to her, a, a wife to him. Identity, identity, identities. Students. I'm a student. I'm a ball player. I'm an athlete. I'm an intellect. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. All false veneer identities. Why? Because in a very moment, a split second in your life, all of those identities can be stripped out from underneath you. Every single one of them. Search it to the extent of it. Go on and keep going. They can all be taken away from you in a moment. But in the baptism, the identification with Christ, you are declaring your identity in the cornerstone identity that you will never lose forever and ever and ever. It will never be taken away from you. How you are created to live on this earth is to find your ultimate worth, allegiance, and your identity in Jesus Christ. So you're externally saying to everybody, I belong to Jesus. I I use this illustration of external sign showing an inward reality um, of a wedding ring. Now, you might have heard me do this one before. You might have heard it before. It's not new. But um, the idea that my, my wedding ring signifies my, my, my marriage to my wife, Callie. Now, if I take it off, I'm still married. In fact, I could have gotten married to her that day and not had a ring at all. But why do we have the ring? Because the ring is an outward sign that I belong to her and she belongs to to me. It says to the world as I walk around with my ring, it says to every other woman in the world, I'm not available. I belong to Callie. She belongs to me. My ring, in fact, the inscription on it in Hebrew uh, says, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. When we get baptized, when we look upon others that are getting baptized, what we are saying is, world, I'm not available for you anymore. I am not yours. My allegiance is not to you. My commitment is not to you anymore. My allegiance is to Christ. He is my beloved and my beloved is mine. That is what baptism is. It is identifying. And that is where we were created to flourish. All right. Uh, now, the other thing that it does, the other part of Paul's passage here 
uh, wasn't just for identification, but what does he say there at the end that we were, we were called to do? As we're raised to death, but to walk in newness of life. Here's what Paul meant. He meant that if that's a real baptism, and there's authentic conversion, a new heart, a new birth, and all that stuff, what will show out in that person's life is what? Life changed. They will begin to walk in newness of life. Not the old stench of death that we once walked in, but a newness of life. We would smell of the sweet aroma of Christ. Now that process for most of us um, is, for most of us, is more of a slow change, right? There's not the, most of us don't have this road to Damascus moment where we just immediately turn into a different human, although God does that with people. What does that mean? It's a slow process over a life period of time. The question really is this. Since you've been baptized, has your life been marked with life change? Is it changing? Is it never really changed? Is it something you refer back to? Oh, I did that. I am saved because I got baptized in 1999. Like sometimes I meet with people and I want, to, I want them to understand who Jesus is and what baptism is. And I say, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. When did you come to know Jesus? Well, I got baptized in 2000, whatever, when I was eight years old. I didn't ask about your baptism. I asked about Jesus. And that's why there's such a danger in tying baptism into salvation. Because it's created a lot of people who have a false assurance of being saved because they checked the box and they performed an action at church. Listen, if this is real, it will produce life change in you. Not perfection, but a pursuit for perfection, it will. Has it created life change in you? You know, it's also dangerous to always refer back to your baptism as a one-time event in your life. And here's what I mean by that. Figuratively, I need to be baptized every single day because that old dead me wants to keep trying to raise from the dead. That old desire, that old wickedness, the old sin in me continues to try to creep up. Sometimes I try to resuscitate him, right? I need to die Every single day. And remember that I've been raised to new life. You need to put yourself to death every single day. And remember that you've been called to walk in the newness of life. Let me go through the last two here. Baptism matters to the church. Baptism matters to the church. And let me show you here because there's this great potential in our individualistic society to look at baptism as just a personal expression, personal celebration, one individual. Uh, it's just their thing. It's all about them, them, them. There's a danger in that. Let me show you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Paul is saying that this is not just a private, personal celebration of you or me. We are being baptized into the church. 
And this is why it's so important that a relationship with Jesus cannot be divorced from the church. They are married to one another. You're being baptized into a body of believers, the ones that are going to love and encourage and grow. These people we're going to baptize in just a moment, they're going to need to be discipled. It's not done. Where does that happen? Right here, as I look out by you guys, moms and dads and ministry leaders, by you discipling this person. Why? Because they're part of our body into the church. As we look at them in just a moment, we should celebrate. Let me tell you the way we should celebrate. You guys have all been to hospitals to see newborn babies, right? We, I've been a lot lately. I mean, like we're having like a bunch of babies being born around here. It's awesome. Keep being fruitful and multiply. I love it. Uh, but when I go in, I walk down these aisles and I look over at the, you know, the nursery ward with those babies. And I look at them and I just get this look on my face. There's this awe, there's this wonder, there's this celebration of new life. I just get giddy when I see that, just like you do when you see babies at hospitals and, and nursery wards there. Listen, that's the same uh, idea, the same mindset that we should look upon people when we get ready to baptize them in just a moment. New life spiritual newborns. We should be in awe of the life that God has created, love, celebrate, cherish, have great joy in us when we look upon these new believers here in just a moment. The last thing I'm going to tell you is that baptism matters to those outside the church. Outside the church. Um, When God saves a person... He puts two chief things on their hearts that really mark that they're his. Um, And one of those things is knowing God and making him known. The other. Knowing God, making him known. So we would want to know God. We want to know God. We want to know more about him. We study, we read. I want to know God. I want to drink up who you are. But it just doesn't stay with knowing God, right? It's not just us filling ourselves with a bunch of knowledge. We want to turn and we want to make him known. Make him known to the world. And what we do here with baptism, these people that are getting ready to get baptized, they are saying to you, I I know God. I know him. I'm going to know more about him. But I also want to make him known to you. And I would like to believe that there's some people here today that don't know Jesus. You know church, you know how this game works and those kind of things, but you don't know Jesus. And I would tell you that these individuals that are getting ready to get baptized, they want you to know Jesus. They don't want you to look upon them and all of your thoughts and your emotions and your fuzzy feelings to terminate upon them They want you to see this as a sign that points to something greater, that is Jesus. They want you to see Jesus. If that's you today, man, would you stick around after and linger in our lobby? And uh, would you come talk to us? We'd love to share uh, this good news about Jesus Christ and why we're celebrating and why we're doing all of these things today. Uh, we'd love to do that for you, okay? So I, I'm just going to wrap up because we're getting ready to get this thing going here. Brad, y'all probably ready? Uh, listen, baptism is important. Baptism is serious, and it is a dreadful thing to neglect for the believer. 
So if you've not done that in your life, would you please, maybe you can still time, maybe to mark it on your card, get up when we get done, come talk to a pastor. If you want to do it old school and meet me, that's great. Let's do that. I'll talk with you. You can go on the app to fill out an interest form where someone would sit down to you. You might need to sit down and work through some confusion that's there um, in your life. Maybe some things that we brought up today, you have questions. Your job is to lean into that. And then what we're going to do, those who have been uh, baptized, we're going to get ready to look at these spiritual newborns here in a minute, and we're going to be in awe and wonder and celebrate what's getting ready to happen. Okay? So these guys that we're getting ready to baptize, they've done all the things we talked about today. Uh, they, they know that it doesn't save them. They know that it's been ordained by Jesus. Uh, they know that it is a marker in their life of who they belong to. Uh, they know that uh, they're doing it here in the church. And they know that they want other people to know who Jesus is. So let's get ready for this. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to pray in a moment and we'll lead into that time of celebration. Um, let's pray. All right, Lord, we love you. And it is a glorious, glorious day today uh, to be in your presence to see life change, to look upon uh, these um, individuals that have been, uh, been saved by you. We love you. We cherish you. We celebrate you. God, would you use today's message about baptism to pull people to yourself, giving your life to you. God, I pray that you would be with these, uh, these people that we're baptizing today, these kids, still students and children. God, that you would grow them in the likeness of your son through the church. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.